This is Unleashing Leadership, and I'm your host, Travis Moss. We're in episode 22. We're still on the book team of teams. We're going to be on the book for about another week, and then we'll be moving on to something different. And let's stop at the book for a second. In the book team of teams, they talk a lot about making sure that we're not creating super individuals, but making sure that we're creating super teams. And we equated that very similar to a nervous system. And each of the teams being like an organ and they're all, they all have a job and even breaking that down, each individual is like a cell that, that contributes to the organ and, and the nervous system and it all flows up. And at the top of the nervous system is the leader or the, the, the top leader, let's say, because there can be multiple leaders. Obviously you have a leader for every team, even within the teams, there can be leaders. So you have this nervous system and where does it all start? Where does it all end? It all starts at the top with the leader and Interestingly, what one of the biggest mistakes that most leaders have is we say, okay, I'm at the top, I'm in charge, it's my responsibility, I'm going to be the accountable one. And the very first thing that we do is we put ourselves in a pillbox. We literally create a bunker, we put up a bunch of concrete walls around us, and we say, this is my area, this is my domain. And we sever ourselves. It's like cutting your damn head off. We're going to sever ourselves from our teams. This is the man, this is literally a manifestation of ego. Every reason why I need an office is about I or me. I am more important. I have been here longer. I make more revenue. I need to concentrate. I deal with private information. I'm in charge. Every single reason for a private office is because of me or I. We are literally saying that we need to be part of a team. We need to be a leader of the team. And the first thing that the leader does is separate themselves from the team. The people that they are supposed to be most in tune with, they are isolated from. And if you allow team members to isolate from each other, what are you doing? You're cultivating like a horrible environment for people to be working together. But we do it because it makes us feel good. Two of the most common excuses, just to address these, I deal with private information. You might deal with some private information. Like there might be some security clearance level stuff that you might be dealing with for, for limited types of professions, right? You might be dealing with some, some sensitive HR stuff on a limited basis. And you're probably not dealing with all that stuff out loud. And when you are dealing with that out loud, you can get up and go get a private space to be dealing with it. If you are calling everything private information as kind of de facto, then you got to think about this from a standpoint of what does your team not know? Because your team, if they're good, are not going to be stupid. So number one, they either won't act because they don't have information that you they know you have. Number two, they may not trust you anymore. Somebody's going to step into that void and start figuring stuff out. And the problem that that happens, then you don't have trust and they probably figure it out wrong. So now you have some misinformation you got to deal with. You create all kinds of problems by saying, I need it because I have private information. Get over yourself. Not all your information is that private. The other thing is, is I can't concentrate. So you can drive to work. You can deal with all the distractions of driving. You probably got kids sitting in the back of the car. You know, you've got um, the radio on. You're eating a Big Mac. You're doing whatever. You're playing on your iPhone. You're doing text messages. You're posting on Facebook while you're driving. Hell, that's distracting, but you can't go to work and sit with everybody else. Basically, everybody else who can deal with the distractions, you can't. I didn't have an office when I started out. I sat in the middle of a room uh, for the first company I worked for with 
everybody else, the manager and all the other rank and file employees, desk to desk, desk to desk. And when you do something good, people say, hey, that was awesome. I'm going to do that. When you do something bad, people will say, hey, here's a better way to do it. When you were a jackass, they say, you're a jackass. Best feedback loop ever. You didn't have to know how you were doing. Basically, it was obvious. Um, super productive. Super informative. Super, like, talk about developing. Then I got into fi- being a financial advisor. First place I worked there, they take the top performers. They idolize them in offices. You want to be like that person in the office. You walk into an office, it's like, there's a shiny trophy on the wall. I want to be like that. That's where all the attention is. So I wanted that. And I got that. And that was good when it was just about me. The problem with it being just about me, though, is that I wanted to get bigger than just me. So when it's just me, it doesn't matter if I'm in the basement, if I'm at home, if I'm at the office, if I lock the door, if it's dark, if I'm not wearing any clothes. It just doesn't matter. Nobody gives a shit. But when it's about the team, all of a sudden, I need to get off my ass and get out there and hear what people are doing. When I... If I hire somebody into a profession and I say, come and trust me with your livelihood and your future, I will teach you the skills that you need to know. I will help you be a great professional. I will help you find success in the things that are important to you. If I do that and then hide behind a door while that person flounders, who's at fault? It's not their fault. It's my fault. So I got to get up and I got to go out and I got to hear what everybody's doing. And I got to see what everybody's doing so I know how to help. So we kind of figure out that this organization that we're working for at that time, that I'm so so we as in the whole team that I've started to recruit, figure out it's not really about the team there. It's about it's really more an individualistic. They try to keep it individualistic. So we're gonna leave the the organization. We're gonna go start our own business. So there there we form up seat and we get our first office and for some stupid reason. You know, we adopt the same mentality. Everybody goes in and everybody gets a beautiful office. Now, everybody's got a beautiful office. Everybody's got their own separate space. They can close the door and never see each other again. And that works when you only have like five or six people. And each of the five or six people have so much work, they can't possibly get it done. And they're each going to be responsible for their own thing. And there's no questions asked because everybody's just trying as hard as they can. But then all of a sudden you fast forward and you got 30 people or 20 people or 15 people. Point is, you have a lot more people and you have managers. You know, you have teams now and you have teams with people in charge of the teams. And they need information and the doors are still closed. And the people behind the doors have been working so hard with the heads down so long, they don't even understand what the people outside of their doors are dealing with. They don't even understand what those information those people need. All they know is, well, this is how we did it. It's called founders-itis. This is how I did it. This is how you should do it. Yet we're blocking information. We're hoarding information. So we started to expand. We started to build additional offices. And post-COVID, one of the things that, that I really wanted to do is I wanted to bring people back together. I wanted to knock down the walls. I wanted to bring back the the team environment. So I said, look, we're not going to have any individual offices anymore. We're going to have a row conference rooms. And then we're going to have what we call the pit area, which is where everybody sits together and does work together. And so we opened our first office like that in Syracuse. Um, Absolutely beautiful space. And 
seems to be a success. So I moved to Tennessee and we're going to open our office in Tennessee. Same type of model. We have a row of conference rooms. Those are for when clients come in. And then we have a pit area where we all work together, myself included. So I'm the top guy in the company. I have more right to an office than anybody else does. But you can't tell if you walk into our office the difference between me and anybody else. And that is so important because the second I did that, the second I got out of the office, I started to hear what people were saying on the phone, what challenges people were having, how they were talking to each other, what information they were missing. I thought we had this great system. I thought we had this great open architecture, like information flowing every place. You know, we have all these files. People know how to put stuff on in the cloud. We have great communication. Everybody really cares. They're working hard. They're sharing information with each other. And it wasn't that. It was everybody's just trying to still to survive and not thinking about what other people need. And since we weren't close enough to each other, since we were all isolated, um, we had no idea how really jacked up everything was, how horrible the communication had become, how isolating um, certain types of information was. We had people that had no clue what the rest of the business did, and there was nobody telling them, hey, you don't know what, you know, who so-and-so, I mean, we only have, at one time we had 20 employees and we had um, a manager that literally didn't know what who one of the other managers was. I mean, come on, it's not like we had a thousand employees and it, and it was two critical functions and they did, they had no idea who each other was and what each other was did for, on a daily basis. So I get out of my cocoon and I get in there and I get down the, on the ground floor and I start learning about all the challenges everybody's have having just because I can hear it and I can see it. See, the, the leader has a lot of times either built the organization or they understand how all the parts come together. So they know when things are not running smoothly together. An employee with, you know, a single cell with a defined function, I'm just trying to do this, sometimes doesn't understand when they're bumping their head what the roadblock is. But good leadership should. And that's when good leadership can come in and say, I can fix that problem for you. Let me help you. And it's a transformational process, both for the leader and every single team member and the organization. It's like the lights come on finally. You've been, if you've ever been in a room with fluorescent lights and a couple of the lights have blown out, you don't really notice. It's just a little dimmer. Then you fill in the light bulbs. You put new light bulbs in, and the whole light, all of a sudden, the whole room, all of a sudden, the just it's it's glowing. It's it's like blaring light. That's what that experience is like. When you get out of the office, you get knowledge. You 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 get to hear everything that's going on. You get to see the expressions on their faces. Somebody might tell you everything's fine. You go okay, good. You go back to your office. But when somebody tells you everything's fine and you sit there and you watch them for the next, you know, half a day or so and you watch their body language, you know everything's not fine. You know you got something that you need to do then. You get knowledge. You get relationships. You get to talk to people. Hear stories about their kids. Hear what they did over the weekend. You're in charge of leading people, yet you don't know anything about your people. Like anything really. And when you get more than four or five people, it's hard to keep track of everybody's kids. 
unless it's part of your life. Unless you actually literally do hear about it once in a while. And you build relationships. You know, you get up for a coffee break. Somebody else says, hey, I'll jump up and walk with you. Perfect. You become more approachable, actually. Collaboration happens. You hear somebody working on something and say, hey, can I help you with that? Or, hey, could you show me how to do that? All, for real, these things all happen. Um, you, you gain respect. When your team members see you working and they see how much work you do, they respect the hell out of that. They look at you and go, wow, the boss is doing that. I can do that. Or if the boss is doing that, I can't make the excuse because the boss is working harder than me. When they don't see you, when you're locked in your office, they don't know what you're doing. They're saying, I'm working hard. But when you actually see them, and they're not working hard, and they know you're seeing them. They don't. They can't come up with the excuse. Or if they see how hard you're working, they say, "Wow, how do I work that hard?" You get respect, and then you get trust. Because anytime you put up walls, anytime you whisper, people are thinking, "What's happening over there? Why are they whispering? Why are they going behind closed doors?" Yeah, every now and then you gotta go behind closed doors. But guess what? If you got an employee who's screwing up, all your other employees know that. So if you say to the employee, hey, we got to go in the conference room and talk, it's probably a relief. The rest of the employees are going, good, that guy needs to be talked to. So, but now you got trust because they know you're dealing with the problem. Trust is huge. So get out of the corner office. You get out of the corner office, you get knowledge, you get relationships, you get collaboration, you get respect, and you're in trust.